Thanks, Tom. Wow, that's an honor. Appreciate it. Uh, like I said, like Tom said, I'm Paul Worcester, and I lead the College Ministry Christian Challenge. And seven years ago, Christy and I moved from Norman, Oklahoma, here to Chico. And the main reason was because we wanted to start a college ministry, but we wanted to have a really dynamic, vibrant, healthy church to funnel students into that we reach. And Gary and Joni have been the biggest supporters of the ministry. You guys have been the biggest supporters. This church family have been the, the backbone, the behind the scenes that's made reaching. And so far, we started with two students, um, two, two freshmen. And since then, hundreds of students have committed their lives to Christ and disciples are multiplying. And now we're making an impact overseas. And you guys have played a huge role in this. And this summer, we have this thing called Chico Project. And we have uh, about 34 students involved in it. And you might see them milling about with the kids and doing whatnot. And so if you see some, someone that looks college-y, okay, around, then um, just say, hey, what's one thing that you're learning through Chico Project? And I think, I honestly think you'll be really encouraged because it's three nights of intense training. We're just pitching it fast. Summer's no time to kick back. It's time to, to step it up and your walk with God. So today we're in our series, Rise Up. And today I chose one of the hardest guys to talk about, which is the Apostle Paul. Uh, no, it's not about, this is not lessons from Paul. My, it's from the Apostle Paul, okay? And um, I, don't be mad at me if I, if I leave out your favorite aspect of Apostle Paul. We have a deal? Okay, don't be mad. I, I just chose a few things uh, about his life that I feel like are game changer uh, principles that we can all apply to our lives. So let me pray uh, again, because I need it, and uh, then we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for this, this morning. Thank you for every person here. I, honest, I honestly just declare my dependence on you that, that we need you this morning to, to, to change our hearts, to, to turn our hearts more towards you and being obedient to you. So I pray that we would all walk away um, different people in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Apostle Paul, he accomplished a lot. Can we all agree that he, with that? He accomplished a whole lot in his life, <laughs> okay? He wrote 15 books of the Bible, and I think 16, because I'm of the persuasion that Hebrews, he wrote Hebrews, so 15 or 16. Um, and then he started, he traveled from place to place. Started, he started about 20 churches in his lifetime. And then he trained leaders who started other churches, who started other churches, and within a short time frame, um, Christianity, for better or for worse, in, if you the Roman Catholic, the Roman um, the Roman Empire was conquered by Christianity. Now you can debate whether that that part of it was good, but he just completely changed the world through his commitment to Christ and through the multiplication of churches and disciples, followers of Jesus. He laid the foundation of a movement that has changed the world literally. We wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't for the obedience of the Apostle Paul, if it wasn't for his desire to write the letters and to share the gospel and to spread the church, start, spread Christianity and start churches. Um, when Paul and his buddies were rolling into town, they said this verse about him, Acts 17.6, which is actually the, the, the name of our church network, the 17.6 network. It says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They're like, uh-oh, watch out. Paul and his buddies, his posse are coming through town. Um, 
Paul's life was amazing. But as I study and as I read about it, there was three main things that stand out to me. The first one is that Paul was desperately dependent on God's grace in Christ. Paul was desperately dependent on God's grace in Christ. Now, before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, right? Okay, and he, you, this, would, this phrase would be the last thing you would say about Saul. Saul followed God, he believed in God, but he just didn't need God's help <laughs> to do it. He was legalistic, he was prideful, he was racist, he was bitter towards people, other people. He was a bad dude in a lot of ways, okay? And he, but he had a lot of things going for him. He, on the outside, he looked great. He studied under the Rabbi Gamaliel, which is kind of like the Harvard of Jewish culture. Um, and he, here was Paul's resume, okay? He said, we, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Paul had everything going for him, except he didn't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. He didn't have a real relationship with God. And so all of a sudden, this new cult rises up called Christianity, or the way is what they called it then sometimes. And miracles were happening. The poor were getting fed. There was thousands of people joining the ranks. And Paul was mad. Paul's sense of superiority and and pride drove him, enraged him to have a murderous desire to stamp out this, this threat to his, his self-righteousness and his, his pride. So he, Paul played a, a role in murdering the first Christian, uh, Christian martyr. He held the coats while everyone else did the, did the dirty work. He was kind of like the mafia boss. He just sent him in to go. He, he held the coats. That's, he was a bad guy. He went from place to place. When, people, when Christians heard about Paul, they, they, they were scared. Um, he even went on little mission trips to, to, to stamp out Christianity. And on one of his mission trips, this is where everything changed for Paul. Um, let's read along. It's on the screen. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the rest is kind of history, right? <laughs> okay, I could, I could tell you a lot more. I could go on and on about the story of Paul's life, but uh, Tom the other day gave an epic story, and I'm just not that good of a storyteller, so I'm gonna let that be Tom's deal, okay? <laughs> I'm, never that, I'm not gonna be that good. So, but Saul was the last person in the world that Christians thought would get saved. Saul would be the equivalent of today, an ISIS member getting saved, and going out and spreading the gospel. Saul was the last person that, that they thought would be getting saved. 
here's one thing I noticed about Paul's Paul's conversion is before his conversion, he was putting his hope in religion, in, in doing good things to earn God's favor. The problem with that, that, that plan was it actually made him worse because he wasn't relying on God. He wasn't getting to know God. It was all about him and his performance. And this is what Paul says about himself. It says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. 1 Timothy 1, 1, 1, 15 and 16. Do you get what Paul's saying here? He's saying that he was the worst sinner, okay? He was saying, I... Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And we got to remember, Paul is not just giving false humility here, okay? This is scripture. Paul actually saw him himself as the worst sinner. And he was basically, if heaven, if God had a most wanted list for the kind of person that God wanted to take out with his wrath and pour out his wrath on, Paul was on the top of the list. But the amazing thing about God's grace is that God put Paul right at the top of his most wanted list to pour out his grace and his favor and to use him. And so you can look at any person. That's the amazing thing about grace is no one is beyond the grace of God. Every person is desperately in need of the grace that Jesus offers. And any person that you meet, the person furthest from the kingdom is the person that might be the next apostle Paul. So that means, that also means you can be completely changed by Jesus Christ. You, and with all of your, everything that you know that no one else knows, all your hidden sins. Um, so religion's not gonna get you anywhere, but Jesus is gonna take you everywhere. He's gonna take you where you need to be. Religion says do, okay? Religion says do, just do this. And, but Jesus says done. Religion says if I can do enough, I can make God happy. If I can just give money, if I can go to church, if I can not cuss and chew and go with girls who do, if I, if I can't do that, then, um, you know, then I'll be okay. But the irony is that's the very attitude that offends God, is, is that thinking that you can be good enough to please him and honor him. The, the, the attitude that God responds to is, is humility and, and realizing that we're all miles and miles from where we need to be before God. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. Um, gospel says, I'm accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. Okay, remember, the gospel is not just for non-Christians, okay? A lot of you have committed your life to Christ, um, but the gospel was kind of like that thing I did to, to get me into heaven, but now it's on, it's on me to walk with God and to, to do, do God's do the work that God wants me to do. But that's not the, what the Bible says. Colossians 2, 6, it says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue also to walk in him. So just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Colossians 2, 6. So how did you receive Jesus Christ as Lord? How did you receive him? It's by grace through faith, right? That's a great summary. By grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So we become Christians by grace through faith, and we walk with Jesus Christ, and we obey Jesus by grace through faith. We're desperately dependent on God to be obedient to him and to grow in him. So sometimes I've caught myself as a Christian. I became to Christ at a young age. And one thing I often did was I put myself in spiritual timeout, okay? I would sin, I would, I would blow it, and I would feel super guilty. So I, I, I would treat God like I couldn't really relate to God for the next couple hours or sometimes days if the sin was big enough. And what I discovered as I studied the Bible is that attitude actually really offends God because it's basically saying, Jesus, I know what you did on the cross for me. That was great and all, but I, I got to pay for this one myself. And that sounds crazy to say that out loud and sounds blasphemous, but that's actually what that attitude is saying. Um, if you throw a spiritual pity party and refuse to move on when you mess up, then you're saying, Jesus, what you did is not good enough. <laughs> and I, I, that's the last thing I want to say to God. So there's one practical habit that I want to encourage you with is preaching the gospel to yourself. This is one habit. You know, we all know as followers of Christ, we need to preach the gospel to the lost, to those that don't know Jesus. But the most important to preach, person to preach the gospel to is yourself, okay? Because I know how often I am prone to, to get discouraged, to get down on myself, to, to the enemy attacks. Um, so imagine for yourself that your, what's your favorite sin? Don't say it out loud, okay? What's your, your pet sin? You know, you stroke it, you, it's your little pet. Um, and you blow it again. You mess up with that sin and you feel so bad because you've been trying to fight this. Um, have you ever had thoughts like, I can't, I can't be forgiven for that. I, God's mad at me. I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible Christian. I will never overcome this struggle. Have you ever had thoughts like that? I have. It's, it's a regular battle. The remedy to all those thoughts is the gospel. Um, I've read a lot of books about spiritual warfare and, and things like that. And most, the first thing you do is preach the gospel to yourself. And um, one example is, is 1 John 1, 9. This is one, the biggest one for me that's been helpful. It says, if, you confess your, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the moment you ask for forgiveness, God's grace, God's forgiveness is there for you. So I could go on and on about gospel verses. The best way to preach the gospel to yourself is to memorize 10 gospel verses, just verses that you've heard a lot from, from Pastor Gary or, or Bible verses that are really good about the gospel. Just memorize those. And anytime you're, you're struggling, the enemy is feeding you thoughts or you're just struggling to feel like you can't, you're not good enough for God, which you're not good enough for God, but that's the beauty of the gospel is that, that Jesus makes us, he changes us. And, and so quote those verses. Quote those verses in that moment, and you'll be surprised about how your joy returns and how you're, you're able to walk forward in, in victory with, with Christ. So for me, scripture memory has probably been more important than even my quiet time. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that or not, but the verses that I've memorized has really helped me in my walk with God tremendously. So the, the other thing about being dependent is you're dependent for salvation. You're dependent to walk with Christ, but you're also dependent when you serve Christ. You don't serve Christ on your own strength. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, it says, For I am the least of apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So the apostle Paul realized, yes, you need to work work your tail off serving Jesus. You need to work hard, but it was yet not I, but the grace of God working in him. And so he realized that even when you work hard, even when you try hard, it's with a desperate dependence on the grace of God and the power of God to serve Christ. The good news about this is that God will use anyone. God will use anyone that's completely committed to him, that's dependent on him. And so you just have to learn to be obedient in that. The Christian life, so when you hear desperately dependent, sometimes people think, okay, I just got to let go and let God, you know, let go and let God. No, it's more like trust God and get going, okay? Trust God and get going. Um, So that's that's the good news is we need to be desperately dependent on God's grace and he will never let you down. The next thing I see about Paul's life, not my life, Apostle Paul, is um, he was disciplined in living out the basics and trained others to do the same. He was disciplined in living out the basics, and he trained and encouraged others to do the same. How many of you guys are excited about the Olympics coming up? What's the date? When is it coming out? Uh, It's starting? No one knows. Okay. No one's that excited. Okay. Christy is really excited, and every time the Olympics comes on, we're watching every, it doesn't matter if it's underwater basket weaving or, or that thing with the broom, uh, what's that? Uh, curling, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, she's hyped up, she's excited about it, and she loves it. Um, but a few years ago, I was watching the Olympics, and Michael Phelps, remember when he was winning seven gold medals? You guys, anyone remember that? Okay, that was pretty awesome. Um, and they did a special on his life, and they did a, a thing about his life, and all Michael Phelps did was eat. He ate a ton. He was constantly carving up, sleep. He slept a ton, and he slept like 12 hours a day or something like that, and then he, he trained a ton, and that's all he did. He ate, he slept, and then he swam, and um, when I saw that, that video, I was memorizing this verse. It says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And this was one of the clearest times that God spoke to me using his word. It was like, you see that? That's the commitment I want from you. I, uh, you think about an Olympic athlete. They're the most committed people on the planet. They're, they're zealously focused on the goal of winning that gold medal. And uh, this, is, this is scripture. Let's not rush past this. Is, this is for Christians everywhere. The, he's making a comparison. Michael Phelps, a hundred years from now, people might remember him. Maybe they'll do a, like an old video about him on the Olympics. A hundred years from now, people might know about Michael Phelps, okay? But a million years from now, what we do to serve Christ will matter for, for eternity. And that should sink in. That should resonate with us is we're doing something that matters for eternity. But also the other side of it is, is compare your personal commitment to Christ to the physical, compare your physical training, your spiritual training to the physical training that Michael Phelps. (laughs) If if you really compared your commitment, your personal training, 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, train yourself to be godly. 
Train yourself to be godly. It's not Pastor Gary's job to, to make you grow as a Christian. It's, it says train yourself. And so we each have, God has given us some things that we can do to train ourselves. Imagine Apostle Paul was your, your physical trainer, your spiritual trainer, actually. And he looked you over and you got a little dad bod like me. And, um, and he's like, mm, mm. Uh-oh, mm, okay. Let me, let me prescribe some things to you. This will this remedy your situation. The, I got a fitness plan, a spiritual fitness plan for you, okay? The first thing is Bible intake. Bible intake, getting God's word into your life. That's like the proper diet. Uh, you gotta have the proper diet. The apostle Paul um, not only wrote scripture and read scripture and quoted scripture, he also, when he was in prison, that's the first thing he asked for. I thought this was interesting. He said, when you come, bring the cloak because it's cold. <laughs> and that I left with, with Carpus at Troas. Also the books and above all the parchments. And he's basically saying, I'm in prison. There's a lot of things I could use, but above all, bring my Bible. Okay, if Paul was stranded on a desert island, you know, that little thing, I would bring, he would bring his Bible, okay? Um, so think about this. How much Bible intake do you have on a daily basis? Um, is it just the Kayla verse of the day? Or, or are you really getting into the Bible um, on a daily, regular, systematic regimen of Bible intake in, in your life? Um, one thing recently, um, social media has been really, really a crazy thing in my life. And I have a lot of fun with it. And I've caught myself at times getting on Twitter, tweeting about the Bible when I'm not even really reading the Bible. And so God was like, okay, Paul, you know, you need to change that. And so what I've made a, a rule in my life is that the first app I open is gonna be the Bible app, okay? And, and so before I get on social media, before I go on Netflix or do anything that's like free time related, I'm gonna open my Bible I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna review my scripture memory verses, and then I'm free to actually be productive with my social media um, you know, experience and, and be kind and nice, actually. Wouldn't that be good? Um, and so I wanna encourage you, think about something like that. Do whatever it takes to make yourself get into God's word first and foremost. And then prayer. Prayer is the next thing. It's like breathing. You gotta breathe. Um, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than being alive without breathing, Martin, Martin Luther. Um, the apostle Paul modeled a consistent and passionate prayer life for his, the primary ministry strategy that the apostle Paul had was prayer, okay? He, he prayed everywhere he went. He prayed for the, peop, the churches he, um, he started. Here's one, Romans 1, 9, he says, for God is my witness who I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. So the apostle Paul said this to every church, except for the Galatians, that he was going to pray for them. He assured them of this. God is my witness how I pray for you. And then he also prayed for his specific disciples, people he's training. Um, Timothy and Philemon, you see here, he says, I'm praying for you without ceasing. I, I always make mention of you in my prayers. He's constantly praying for the people in his life. Um, is that true of you? Uh, is that true of you? Are, who are you responsible to be praying for consistently and daily? 
One thing God's put on my heart is we have a team of student leaders, about 30 student leaders at Christian Challenge. And, and lately, God's put on my heart to pray for each of them by name every day. And it's been crazy to see my love for them grow. I, I, I want to hear about how their lives are going. And then it's, it's been inter really interesting to see God answering a lot of prayers in their lives. And this group of students uh, is going to change the world. They're, they are going to make a huge impact. In this church family, a lot of them are going to stay around in this church family, but also some of them are going to go overseas. Some of them are going to go other places. And uh, so it's just fun to, to pray. It's, it's exciting to pray for people. Another thing I do is I have a list of people that aren't believers that I pray for every day called my impact list. And I, I seek to get to know them and share the gospel. And you know what I find about that list is if, if I'm consistent, they don't stay on that list very long. Okay, because people get saved <laughs> when, when you pray for them and when you pray for them consistently. So I want to encourage you, maybe think about making a couple lists. I like prayer lists because I'm not so good at the remembering thing, okay? Uh, I like prayer lists because they help you remember and have a strategic and systematic prayer, li prayer life. So let me encourage you to have a prayer list. Um, the next thing is fellowship. Fellowship. Paul understood the need to get around other believers. He said, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith but I also want to be encouraged by yours. So Paul was encouraging people to get in fellowship, but he realized himself, the apostle Paul, if he needed it, if he needed encouragement from others, then we need it. So make it a priority to be a part of the church and get in however you can. The last thing that Paul would tell you if he was your spiritual fitness trainer is ministry. And that'd be like exercise, okay? That'd be like, you're, a lot of Christians are spiritually fat and spiritually unhealthy. They may be physically fit, but they're a little flabby spiritually. Um, they need to work out their salvation. They need to, they need to work out and, and serve the Lord. And this is the Apostle Paul's attitude again. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm gonna go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So basically he's saying, if I'm still kicking, I'm still working. If I'm still living, I'm still laboring, okay? And so God has saved you to do good works. He saved you to get to work. So if you're just gonna accept salvation and then maybe come to services and then that's it, then God might as well just beam you up, Scotty, as soon as you get saved and go, we might as well just go straight to heaven. Um, but we're here on earth because we have a job to do. And that's, that's the, to make disciples of all nations. And uh, Apostle Paul understood that as much as anyone else. He says, if I'm, if I'm going to go on living, it'll mean fruitful labor for me. He was determined in that. So that kind of leads me to my next thing is Paul's love for Christ drove him to do whatever it takes to reach lost people. If I could pick one verse to describe the Apostle Paul and his, his passion to see people come to Christ, it was Acts 20, 24. It says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. This is Paul's life mission statement. This would be on his plaque in his office wall, okay? Um, he, and in context, the apostle Paul is going to where he knows he's gonna probably get thrown in prison. He's likely gonna get killed. He's saying, I, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I'm just gonna finish the race and complete the task the Lord's given me. So here's one more picture of the Apostle Paul and his, his passion to do whatever it takes to reach people. It's, it says in Acts 14, 19, and 20, it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. 
having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, entered the city on the next day and went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Did you get what's happening? He was stoned and people thought he was dead. Like he didn't have a pulse. And what did he do? He got right back up, went back into the city so he could keep preaching the gospel. It's like Rocky Balboa with the big Russian guy, just like taking it, come on, come on. You know, it was like that. He just keeps coming back for more, you know? Um, And what drove Paul to do this? It was Paul's deep love for God and people. It was a deep passion to see people come to know Jesus Christ. Romans 9, 3, it says, Paul says, for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed and cut off for Christ if that would save them. He's willing to forfeit his salvation for others to come to Christ. That's, he can't, but he's saying, if that was, that challenge, challenges me. I'm not there yet. Um, I, I love my salvation too much. But, but that's, that's as you grow as a follower of Jesus, inevitably your love for those that are separated from God will grow as well. As you, lo- as you grow in your walk with Christ, your love for the lost will grow as well. You know, think about our, our community. Think about the 23,000, I did the numbers one time, 23,500 students at Chico State and Butte College that likely do not have a relationship with Christ. That breaks my heart. That gets me up in the morning. And that's not okay. You know, think about the thousands in our community that don't know Jesus. Um, That's not okay. You think about the 4.5 billion people on planet Earth that if nothing changes, they're heading to a Christless eternity. That's not okay. You think about the 4,000 unreached people, people groups that the average person is born and, and walks around and lives life and never hears the gospel before they die. We, and God's called us to go to them. That's not okay. We, we need to be willing to sacrifice whatever we can to help others come to know Christ. At Challenge, we have a three-word vision statement. It's salvation, transformation, and multiplication. And in our salvation tagline, we say, um, we do whatever it takes to reach lost students. We do whatever it takes to reach lost students. And so every August, it's coming up. So I, I had my first fall outreach dream where you know, I was really stressed out about trying to reach a lot of students. But um, we had this fall, our team just runs ourselves ragged. And we talked to about 6,000 people on campus. So just little surveys, about 6,000 people. Out of those 6,000 this year, we ended up having 1,900 check a little box saying, I'm interested in hearing more about Christian challenge. So a lot of interest. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so then that's a lot for a team of about 30 something people to follow up with. So we started text messaging them, inviting them to fun events. We do a fun event, kind of like a fraternity does a rush week without all the other stuff. And, um, and we just do a lot of fun activities. We do 13 at, fun outreach events in the first 15 days. So we're the place to be, the part, we're, the, we're where one of the parties are at on campus. And then our team sets up gospel appointments, which is what it sounds like, an appointment to share the gospel. And so we, we shared the gospel, our team shared the gospel with a lot of people. And this school year, we saw um, around 128 students pray to receive Jesus Christ this year. And... It's worth it. It's exhausting. 
you know, by, by the end of those first month, by October, the staff, every staff member has a nervous twitch and we're just like, <laughs> but it's worth it. Okay, so my question for you is how much time and effort in your life is one soul worth? How much time and effort in your life is one soul worth? Paul's attitude was, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. He said, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul was willing to endure suffering. He was willing to endure whatever it took. And I included some verses on your handout that, that describe that. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. It says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, not on what is seen. Wait, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, if you looked at, you can look at 2 Corinthians 11, 23 and 30. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 and 30. And you can look that up. And that's Paul's resume of what he suffered. And he's saying that's light, that's momentary. But when you compare that to the, a soul being saved for eternity, that's totally worth it. That's totally worth it. Um, so I want to close with one last verse that shows how Apostle Paul, he, he went out swinging. It's Acts 20, 28, 31. It says this, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to, to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Paul understood that as followers of Christ, we have unlimited tickets to heaven. We have VIP backstage meet and greet tickets, okay? And we're, he decided that he was gonna pass as many of those babies out before he crossed eternity. And so he was, he was spending his last days proclaiming God's kingdom. So I wanna encourage you, what's your part? We, we as, this is a team effort as Chico Community Church. Our mission is to see people come and know Christ. We want to win one more person for Jesus Christ. So what's your role? Everyone has a part to play. Um, so think about, let's rise up to the mission that God's given us. Let's rise up to live desperately dependent on God's grace. Let's rise up to live desperately dependent on God's grace. Let's rise up to diligently live out the basics of the faith. Let's rise up to do whatever it takes to see one more person meet Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this mission and this example that the Apostle Paul gave us. Um, I pray that each of us would respond to what we've heard this morning, that we would go back and study some of these verses, um, and that we would really do something with what we heard. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.